Hello, a massive welcome to Holtcast 128. As per usual, I'm James Rushton, and your host taking you through the weekly events at Aston Villa FC. Once again, I'm joined by Danny Raza. How are you doing, pal? I'm doing well. How are you, mate? All good, man. Um, not the most convincing win yesterday, but a win nonetheless, and it feel that those ones feel especially good. I don't know. I was fairly convinced. I was fairly convinced. I'll tell you why. Um, more so my point is that it looked far too easy for us. And I mean, like, it's not the convincing win in the style of Man City. I mean, you can say that if you don't try really hard and it looks almost lazy, that's the most convincing win of all, I guess. But uh, we didn't really look like we deserved it. It, it. it was almost like the game was completely in Nottingham Forest's favour and they could not do anything at all to get past us. What's that all about? Do you know what? There was a sense in the first half of after we scored that we we totally put the brakes on and and, and didn't look to uh, didn't look to score. There was that sense for the first half. I remember tweeting about it, so I'm not going to go back on that. Second half, though, um, I have to say, you know, if we're rounding this up, like uh, to, to to set up, you know, our analysis of the game, like uh, I did think that we went out there to score, and I think that the fact that we had so much possession, the fact that we were piling so much pressure onto Man, uh, not Man City, sorry, onto uh, Nottingham Forest, uh, meant that, it, that they were always going to struggle to create opportunities. And I thought we did very well against a team who loves having a lot of the ball. Um, you know, obviously the third, I believe, best side when it comes to possession in the championship. I think just above them, Reading and a couple of other sides. Um, and I like, yeah, we didn't score. Like that's that's fair, but. I thought we had a major handicap in the second half as well, uh, with obviously Glenn Whelan going off and Berkia Bjarnason having to fill in in that central midfield. Uh, so I have to say that whilst there was only that one goal in it, uh, I thought that we we looked very, very comfortable throughout that game. And usually when Villa are one up, uh, you do get that sense that they're going to drop something, uh, you know, especially when there's that much time left in the game. But uh, I, I did sense a lot of comfortability yesterday. Yeah, of course, me and Danny talking about yesterday's game in case, um, for whatever reason, if you've not seen the result, uh, 1-0 Villa against Nottingham Forest away at the city ground. Bit of nerves coming in. Um, Nottingham Forest obviously riding a high. New manager bounce. Uh, Ito Karanka's there now after uh, he left uh, Middlesbrough. He's left Middlesbrough a few times, hasn't he? I think he's resigned a few, then come back the next day a few times. But he was sacked when they were in the Premier League. Um, very defensive style, very uh, almost aggressive in defence. Their style, uh, really low conceding team, his Middlesbrough were. Mm. But there wasn't much defensive discipline so far at his Forest team. I think the pieces are there. They did, you know, in essence, dominate the game. They weren't able to do anything at all. But they had the majority of the ball. They looked the more dangerous team in the in the sense of their build-up. But when they came, when our turn came to attack, we, we almost just strolled the ball into their box at will. And that's imp- incredible to see from Aston Villa. Um, Nottingham Forest weren't able to take a shot at all within our six-yard box. And, of course, our goal for that man, Scott Hogan, come straight from in front of the goal. His smart work from that Robert Snodgrass free kick, mate. What did you think of that? Uh, yeah, no. Not free kick, cross. It was a cross, wasn't it? Not a free kick. Uh, let me remember. Yeah, it was It was a cross. It was a cross. I think the ease, the amount of uh, time and space that, that Robert Snodgrass had kind of might make you think it was a free kick. Uh, but yeah, no, it was, it, it was brilliant. It was just whipped in with perfection. He almost took a moment, you know, le- took that ball into, you know, his left-hand side, Went around it just a little bit, pinpointed where he wanted to put the ball, and when you strike it at the at, at the height that he did uh, into the box, you know with that amount of curve, you're always going to cause some trouble. And really, they it only needed the touch from Scott Hogan, didn't it? Uh, so, 
I mean, I was impressed. I was impressed. It was a brilliant ball and a brilliant finish by uh, Scott Hogan in the end of it, which is good to see because what we've seen from Scott Hogan now, I believe, forgive me if I'm wrong, is that now two goals that he scored from not set pieces, but from crosses? Yes. Which is uh, which is something which we, which we didn't expect necessarily from Hogan. Um, we call him the kind of striker that, 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 that passes it in or finesses it in when, uh, when he's got the ball at his feet, but uh, clearly not the case at the moment. No, he really is becoming that complete forward in the same style of Jonathan Codger, that man that will lead the line and just break rapidly forward. Um, he's doing better with his head for an average size bloke. He's not the tallest man, is he? But he's getting he's hanging in the air, and especially from what I saw from his header, it's from a quite. He, he didn't attack the ball when it was at its highest point. It was almost hit the floor when he headed it. It was quite low. He stooped and nodded it past, and it's more so that he his run. You know, he almost snaked through the defense. That well, they did not pick him up at all. And whether that's a, I think that's more of a failing on their part because that's a ball that could have easily been claimed by the goalkeeper. He puts his hands in there. It's, he's almost twice as tall as a uh, Scott Hogan who's bending down for the header. He could have easily claimed that. Everything went Villa's way in that. Um, uh, you know, the goal almost came out of nowhere. As you said, Snodgrass had so much time on the ball. It's like in FIFA when you uh, run out of pace on the wing and you press the cross button and they step back and cross it in. He had so much time. It was almost like a dead ball situation. That's why I got so confused because when you see the ball come in, it's almost like a set-piece delivery. Uh, Snodgrass is the man of the match uh, for many reasons, mainly because he won so many fouls. And they were fouls. He was getting kicked a bit. Um, I think there's a bit of play acting sometimes. You know, he did fall into someone one time and get a free gig. But he did earn those, those, those fouls, didn't he? Their, their defensive discipline is absolutely awful. Now, Snodgrass, now, he doesn't have the same kind of pace as somebody like Elba Adoma. Steve Bruce, quite funnily, actually, in the post-match interview, referred to Scott Hogan having rolled back the years before instantly regretting it and taking back that comment. Um, and I think that, you know, we've talked about this before, whilst other wingers tend to rely on their pace, Nodgrass just relies on having that ball stick to his feet, doesn't he? So whenever the defenders were coming into him, he turned around, you know, he put his body in front of the ball. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Uh, and also... The, the, the sheer aggression from Nottingham Forest meant that he almost had to play like that to some degree. I think uh, Matthew Cash a couple of times somehow or another ended up uh, <laughs> ended up uh, fouling him because he's he's one of their attacking attacking midfielders, and even yet he seemed to have so many duels with uh, with Robert Snodgrass. We're trying to remember who else just kept on uh, giving the ball, um, giving the uh, giving the possession away to Snod- Scott, uh, giving the possession away to Snodgrass as well, but. In general, he just he just played so well on the wing that, uh, that they couldn't handle him. Armand Traore, wasn't it, uh, at left-back that was uh, that was struggling against him? Yeah, uh, Lehi, obviously the Villa... The, the FA Cup hero, Eric Lehi himself, obviously a Villa graduate. Um, he's a, a, always going to be there right-back. He's performed at a consistent level for Forest. So, yeah, Armand Traore at uh, left-back couldn't really deal with Snodgrass. Well, he could, um, just not the way that the game would like him to. You know, the laws of the game prevent you kicking... And uh, pulling and you know any anything any obstruction and uh, Snodgrass won the fouls and uh, it's a shame we couldn't make more of those you know our set our set piece attacking seems a bit wonderful sometimes Terry did hit the bar John Terry of course uh, the returning captain in his first league match since that metatarsal injury hit the bar um, XG the statistic expected goals isn't favourable to that it says we had point one or something it's a really low encounter but that, that's got to be a mistake because he you know point black in front of the goal header so unlucky not to put that in perfect opportunity for Villa to uh, double their lead and uh, honestly when he hit the bar I think uh, we're going to re- that's something that's the point where we look back and regret this match uh, thankfully it wasn't like that more on Forest though 
They didn't seem to have much going for them at all, mate. Yeah, it's almost like Tokaranka sent them out to just make sure Villa Villa couldn't play. Because I think one of the things that uh, that teams have probably noticed about us as weaknesses before the Bristol game, certainly, is that we shut off. We don't tend to have the ball very much and we don't get into attacking positions. So I think what Aitokaranka's uh, mind was saying was, look, whenever Villa look to get on the attack, nip it in the bud. Uh, because, you know, Villa obviously traditionally fighting on the counter-attack. Uh, especially so far this season, anyway. Uh, so tend to struggle if teams are fouling them, and then and then when it does come to it, we 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 don't tend to have that momentum going where we're constantly bombarding the side. But I think Aitokaranka got it absolutely wrong today because we we did say that if Villa were going to play well against Nottingham Forest, they had to play like they did against Bristol City, keeping the ball along the ground, making sure that we were constantly going forward and constantly creating those opportunities. And I'm sorry, but when a side is 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 putting that much pressure on you, and Villa were putting pressure on Nottingham Forest, certainly in the second half, you can't just expect to keep fouling them and, uh, and, and having it not come back to haunt you. Uh, and unfortunately, that's uh, that's what happened. Well, unfortunately for Nottingham Forest, that, that's what happened, isn't it? Uh, they just kept on soaking up the pressure, kept on giving away needless free kicks, unnecessary ones so many times, actually. Uh, and yeah, they, they never got any sort of attack going of their own because of it. And Ben Brereton looked absolutely isolated, if I'm totally honest with you. They, they could have done a lot more to... Uh, to support him, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great from Forest. If uh, after that match, there are there are some you know small concerns about Villa, um, the way they you know the, the game played into their hands and it didn't seem they were able to take that much advantage. But Forest, I'd be more worried about when you have that much going for you in the game. You know, the only thing holding them back was Villa's defence. You know, they could break through the midfield. Berka, be honest, and imp- did an impressive job at defensive midfield. We'll come on to that in a bit, mate. But everything seemed to fall into Forest's hands and they couldn't do a thing. You know, most of their shots were from, you know, between <laughs> between our box and the halfway line. It was all long shots. One particular one uh, from Dow almost caught Sam Johnson off and that was one of the weirdest saves I've seen that keeper make. Um, it was almost like he was daydreaming and woke up when the ball was, you know, coming at rapid pace towards him, um, slammed off his forearm. It was an easy catch. Uh, one of the more weirder saves I've seen him make, but... They didn't do well at all. I'm worried about that team. You know, Forest are a team like Villa who seem to, you know, they should at least be a, a yo-yo club. They should be going into the Premier League every every now and then. But they haven't been there for ages. And, you know, it seems more bad times than good for them. One way that they could really themselves is not sacking managers every time there's a there's a bad uh, there's a bad there's a bad season. If Villa like Steve Bruce last year, we would be nowhere near where we are on the table. And I'm sorry to anybody who likes calling me who says anything positive about Steve Bruce apologists or whatever it is, but it is the case. You keep sacking your manager, you're never going to move forward. Now I do think Karanka could be the man for Nottingham Forest, but oh boy, they're going to have to struggle through a few nil nil draws before he gets it right. Because that's just the way he does things. He's more like Tony Pulis than people understand. And uh, I think that, that's that been the issue with Nottingham Forest, uh, if, if we're totally honest. Yeah, it's big problems for them. Um, def- Aito Kranka's not a bad manager. Very defend- in the defensive school of managers in that authoritarian, structured style of play. Uh, nothing against that. But yeah, more worries for them. However, Berkey Bjarnason, and that man, come- Glenn Whelan didn't perform bad at defensive midfield. But when Berkey Bjarnason come on, Villa looks so much more comfortable. Uh, B- I've seen a number of um, graphs, you know, the visualize, data visualizations of a uh, Wheelan's play. It's all good looking at the numbers when we see the visualization compared to other in his position. It's actually appalling. Um, I don't like to dismiss Glenn Whelan too much. That Stoke team are specifically struggling without him. However, he is 
unable to get rid of the ball and recycle possession. He seems to do the simple stuff extremely badly. He'll ping a great ball out out wide occasionally. However, the opposite of Ashley Westwood. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect opposite. Um, however, you know he can't do the simple stuff. He's one of the more dispossessed players. You know he's getting he's getting absolutely run on by other teams' midfield, whether that's a fault of his or a fault of ours. It's unknown, but still, he's not doing a good enough job there. Miller, yeah, and that looks more composed. However, it's that man, Berkey, I'll be honest, and we'll be talking about in focus now, because uh, his performance at defensive midfield was unexpectedly good. Um, he was able to win so many aerial battles. I think he was second only to Snodgrass in that aspect. And that's impressive, considering he played half as much game Snodgrass, you know, Snodgrass is on the pitch for 90 minutes. He's on the pitch for 45, and he's winning aerial battles. He's been, you know, brave, almost like his namesake for, you know, the legendary, you know, the legendary figure of Asgard with his hammer, the long, you know, that Norse hero. He's like that, you know, completely brave, knows what he's doing. There's no bravado. There's no bullshit. You know, he will track, he will track a, an attacker wherever they go. He's a menace. And, uh, you know, I hope we play him there. I think he's found his role there. It's a boring, you know, it's a boring, almost thankless task sometimes, but he, he's won, rightly won, won the plaudits and, uh, yeah. There's a lot of rumours about him moving on to Spal. You know, they're, they're struggling in Serie A. They are, you know, there's... When Spal got promoted, mate, they said Serie A should have less teams because teams like Spal are getting promoted. You know what I mean? It's... um, he's To move to there from Aston Villa, he'll be the centrepiece of their team. But I wouldn't want to let him go after that. Yeah. Uh, this is it, man. You know what's going on. This performance. My man's trying to get a move to Serie A. But... I don't, he, obviously, he's played in Italy loads. Uh, his agent wants him in Italy, doesn't he? I, I mean, if, if we're if we're looking at comments uh, that have been made in the press, obviously, uh, he has he's played for Pescara, played for Sampdoria, obviously, who are a much better team. <laughs> you know, that if, if you want to if you want to highlight who who the best team is that he's played for, uh, and uh, you've got a question now, like it would be like moving from from Villa to to say a side like Swansea. Who are, ta- who are who are looking at certain relegation? Do you wanna do you wanna stick it out in Italy next year and go down with Spell? Which let's be honest is probably gonna happen. There's something funny about Italy where you can you know who's getting relegated pretty early on in the season. Um, or does he now want to fight it out for his place at Villa? Because you know with all the injuries and with all the players out, and especially after his last couple of performances, Bjarnison's in a position now where. Steve Bruce can do nothing but 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 notice him, and it's getting to that point in the season where Adoma's going to start getting a little bit tired. Snodgrass is going to start getting a little bit tired, and we're going to need a winger. Uh, and yeah, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking I'd much rather have Bjarnason over there than than Onoma. Um, I don't know though, James, whether we can sustain him at defensive midfield. It almost seemed like it was out of the bag and. It was the kind of performance that you see players kind of shining, but then uh, it still makes me wonder whether he can do that consistently. Don't get me wrong. He played well. He played incredibly well in, in the second half of Villa, but part of that must have been due to uh, Nottingham Forest just not being very good at all, mate. Yeah, of course. I think that's a reflection on Villa's performance as a whole. It was almost lazy in a good way. I don't say that negative at all. Um, we, but again, we were almost able to walk the ball into their net at will. Um, I mean, we only scored one goal, but our attack and you know, our midfield, it seems it's happening in slow motion. That's no negative criticism of our team. But uh, again, more on Bjarnason, 
moving to Spa strikes me as probably the best and worst move he could make. He'd go into that team and he'd be the star man. There's no, no bones about it. He'll go into that team and he'll be. He'll start every single game. He'll make a name for himself again over in Italy and over in Serie A. However, can Spal pay him the same money as Aston Villa? Can Spal potentially offer him Premier League football? Um, no, they're going to be on the receiving end of beatings. They're not in the relegation zone just yet, as far as I believe. I think there is a there is a real mixture down there of just poor teams in Serie A. Uh, you know, any, anyone under sixty under the sixteenth position is looking at getting relegated. But still, if you, if I was to put my money on it, it would be Spal. That would be one of the teams going down because they don't have the quality to sustain results over the end of the season. It would take, you know, a heroic effort like Crotone's last last season, Crotone's, um, who pulled out of those relegation zones with literally seconds to go after, you know, sustaining wins. There was about 15, oh, wow. 16 points behind. You know, don't, quote, don't quote me on that. But um, there was a load of tragedy involved with the team. You know, it's all the narrative was there for them to pull out. And they did. However, he moves to Spal, he goes down, he goes to Serie B, and it's not, it's, it's n- nothing good happens there for him. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not the type of move that ends his career. It seems like a pointless move. However, as I said, he'll go there, be the star, whereas Villa is a rotation player, if that. Um, he's made a name for himself. I hope this defensive midfield thing carries on because that's a position we really need. It's crucial. And uh, I'd play him over Gwen, Glenn Whelan there next week. Would you really? Oh, it was a good performance, but it, is, it, is it enough to say, right, be honest, and you're a defensive midfielder now. Yeah, all his performances this season, especially, you know, off the sub-bench, will come out on the left-hand side of midfield or at central attacking midfield behind the striker. Does 45 minutes of football warrant you, warrant you to class yourself as a defensive midfielder? Here's the thing. If Mila Yedinak is back, he's our first choice for that position. No bones about it. Ball-winning midfielder, someone who's off the ball skills are incredible. Less said about his on-the-ball skills, probably the better. However, he's someone who will win the ball. He, he's a you know he's a massive wall. He's Carlos Sanchez. Now, one of the best things about Carlos Sanchez is you you know he could take the ball off anyone. He's just he's just a big block in front of the defense, which is incredible. Great player. Great player. Yeah, someone he's very underrated. You know, we don't rate him enough at Aston Villa, but you know, he was part of a poor team. However, he's you know, it's what he offers off the ball that we want to look at rather than on the ball. Same with Miller Yedanak. Uh, Bjarnason's a bit more technical, Bjarnason's a bit more visceral, Bjarnason's cunning. You know, I don't think he's got the physicality to be Miller Yedanak. However, we don't necessarily need Miller Yedanak. We need someone who's going to recycle possession, get rid of the ball, and not get dispossessed right in front of our defence. Glenn Whelan has shown me enough now, and it's no reflection on his character or his ability, but we haven't seen the best of him in the Villa shirt. If you're playing a 34-year-old midfielder in one of the most physically demanding positions in in football, in the championship, bad things can occur, and they are occurring with Glenn Whelan more often than not. It's no reflection on him to get benched. You know, he's starting every single game. He's looking visibly knackered. He's leading himself into dangerous tackles. He's getting dispossessed and he's getting sprint past. I play Bjarnason not just for the 45 minutes because of his attributes that he brings to the game. It's his work rate, his intelligence. And the way he makes runs, he knows what's happening. He's an intelligent footballer. Not saying Glenn Whelan's not. But Bjarnason's got the, you know, the fitness. He's got the, the ability to move more. He covers more ground. and He's, he's a smart tackler. Um... I'm not saying he deserves it off the back of 45 minutes. I just feel it's worth a shot if Yedanak isn't playing. It has to be worth a shot. Glenn Whelan sometimes can be a liability. I'm hearing that. I'm hearing that, but 
also putting Bjarnes in a central midfield is going to create just as much of a liability. I mean, look, I, look, I, I, I thought it was a fantastic performance. I'm curious to see more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do we need to be bringing him on as a substitute and testing him out in that position a little bit more? Yeah, totally. Right. But to, to, to stick him in ahead of somebody like Glenn Whelan. Okay. Look, if you, if we've got the ball and we're, we're a goal ahead, right. And we're moving forward. We've got the control of the game. Then fine. Okay. Bjarnason does his work. You know, we, we, we're passing the ball about and our wingers have the ball a lot and uh, we, we're, we're putting pressure on the opposition. That's totally fine. But say, for example, and I'm not saying by any by any means that, that Barnsley are an amazing team, but let's say Bjarsley, Barnsley start piling in the pressure. Let's say their midfielders start um, running around and, and, and putting in more effort than ours. Uh, what happens then? Because... You then got the you then got the, the 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 issue of not having a having an extra midfield man, and then Terry and Chester will end up being put under under pressure. Uh, and I'm not quite sure sticking somebody in there who's not used to playing that position is a wise idea. Um, if I'm totally honest with you, having said that, he's a big guy. To be honest, uh, he did demonstrate that that uh, that that he was comfortable in, in that position to some degree. Um. I wouldn't start him there. If you're going to start him there, start him there alongside Glenn Whelan, maybe. Play him in Conor Hurahan's position. But uh, the way I see it, I don't think Conor Hurahan would, would appreciate it if if uh, the guy behind him is not winning the balls like, uh, like, like, like we need him to. And I think that's something that... I think actually something that our club and our fans have, have not appreciated over the last few years. Um, guys like Idrissa Gay, guys like Carlos Sanchez, who do, and even, even going back as, as far as Jean Dumacoon, you know, the central midfielders that win the ball aren't pretty. Yeah, are prone to mistakes, but they're prone to mistakes because they've got the ball so much and because they're winning the ball so much and because they're, they're, they're that last port of call behind the, you know, before the defenders. Uh, so it's all well and good having two creative technical types in that central midfield, but you've then got to convince me that we're, we're going to keep the ball enough to, uh, to not soak up that pressure. That's, that's just the way I see it, mate. No, that's that's more than valid, mate. I think there's certainly valid points to both. You know, both players being on the pitch, it's just a, it's just another another conundrum that Steve Bruce is going to have to solve. It because I think you're right. I think Bjarnson should be. He should either be starting forty five minutes. You know, there's these are both valid things. I think Glenn Whelan, unfortunately, has shown us enough now. Um, I don't think he's the reason why Villa lose games or why they collapse. But he gives teams chances, and you don't want to give teams chances. Thankfully, Nottingham Forest weren't able to spring anything. So, Nottingham Forest, mate, 1-0 to Villa, of course. Uh, they had 60% of the possession, the Forest did. More shots, more corners, more fouls. Um, dominated the game in every aspect, except that one important statistic, mate, and that's goals. Uh, we took the lead via Scott Hogan, as we said. Any final thoughts on that match? Uh, I don't think they dominated whatsoever, mate. I, I, I have seen the stats. I have seen the stats, and they are very close. Obviously, we had eight shots. I thought we we had the better opportunities, if I'm totally honest with you. And I thought that uh, our attack seemed to have a lot more a lot more thought given into them. I thought Nottingham Forest got desperate a few times. They did end up uh, they did end up shooting from distance quite often, if I'm totally honest with you. Uh, and I never at any point felt like we were in danger, especially in the second half. Uh, Nottingham Forest just seemed to lose confidence as soon as we scored. Um, so I'll, I'll say this about Villa: it, it wasn't pretty once again. It wasn't the 5-0 against Bristol City. However, I do think we played like we did against Bristol City. Maybe not for part of the first half, but certainly for the second half. 
we did try. Um, however, we were faced against the side who, who who were fouling us quite a lot. If I'm totally honest with you, uh, definitely wanted to make the game gritty and dirty, but uh, played into our favour ultimately. Um, so I will say that uh, it wasn't that goal fest that that people might be craving. But hey, come on, right? I saw Karanka, fantastic manager, got experience at the likes of Real Madrid. Uh, he's coming, set up a team who are going to be difficult to beat. Make no doubt about it. Uh, a, t- a side that just beat Arsenal 4-2. Eric Lehigh, fresh off scoring two goals. Um, we, we came up against them. And, and to be honest with you, we outclassed them. If I'm, if I'm totally honest, we did look like that side that, uh, is just not going to lose, uh, regardless of how much effort, you know, the other team puts in. Uh, and I think that we, have a lot of, I mean, we've won a lot of games this way. Um, so, you know, long may it continue. That's all I'll say. Yeah, I think uh, lazy is the wrong word for me to use when I describe Villa's approach. Their build-up play is measured. It's slow, it's patient, it's thoughtful. Um, it's bringing in play. It's where players like Grealish and Hurahan work best. When they're able to think, when they're allowed a little bit of time on the ball, when they're allowing the team to you know run in front of them and set up in positions that where, where scoring opportunities come from. Uh, brilliant gameplay from Villa. I think that they made the most of what they had. What they had was very little on occasion. But yes, yeah, certainly Scott Hogan's chance buried it. Need I say more? Um, that takes us up to fourth. Uh, very positive. Uh, one thing I'm worried about, automatic promotion. We have to score more points than Derby. We're five points behind. We have to make up six points and a Derby team would probably look like they're going to pick up at least two points a game from now on. So it looks like if Villa don't win out, they might miss out. We don't know what's going to happen in the Championship, but Derby look a very good side. Uh, Villa look good. They have their flaws though and I don't see much flaws in this Derby side. They've got it together a bit too late to win the title, um, but there's still time. Um, we'll see what happens. We do need to make up a lot of points on Derby. You know, it, sound, it doesn't sound like much five or six points, but I don't think Derby drop much. Um, we'll talk about more about that when the time comes when we play Derby. You know, there's a lot. There's a lot of games to go. I think there's 18, 19 games left, mate. So there's a long time left to go in this league yet, and uh, the situation's dynamic. It's always changing. We'll find out more though next week when we uh, play Barnsley, mate. What are your predictions for this match? I think we've got a lot to digress here, a lot to talk about. Barnsley have got new owners. They're looking just dangling above that relegation zone. Nothing's going well from this season. They've been uh, had a few players taken off, and Mark Roberts, of course, this season by Birmingham. They had uh, James Bree, Connor Hurahan, nicked last year. Um, they're assembling. This is a team that has great players coming through. Some of those fantastic youth products, and you know, certainly they're able to find talent from all corners. And Mason Holgate, uh, John Stones, are two players as well who've come from Barnsley and moved on to uh, the Premier League clubs like uh, Everton, then passed on to Man City. In Stones' case, uh, Barnsley come uh, to Villa Park. Uh, we beat them three 0 at Oakwell earlier in the season and that kind of got our season off to a you know a better start than it was seemed to be heading into after losses to Reading and Cardiff. Um so it, the ball's in our court when Barnsley come to town, right? Oh yeah, I mean I think this is the thing. We we're, we're the team that that took their two best players, aren't we? Yes. You know, where 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 the Mr. Steal your girl of this of this team. You know, we we're, we're the one who we're, we're the side that that raided Barnsley and went, look, we're the bigger side, right? We we quite frankly don't care if we if we take your two best players off you. I don't know if we're, they were the two best players, but we we took the guy that ran their midfield. So, I mean, hypothetically speaking, 
uh, when, when you look at both of these teams, Villa on paper absolutely should be uh, should be the team that, uh, that, that win this. Now, the thing with Barnsley is defensively they've been fantastic. I mean, I'm looking at some of their attackers and they don't necessarily worry me too much. You know, you've got Lloyd Isgrove in there. Barnsley don't tend to score much more than one goal a game, I think, or something like that. Uh, I, I'm not sure on the actual like goal percentage, but no, yeah, it's one goal a game. It's 27, um, 27 games a season, 27 goals. So I'm not expecting them to, to trouble us that much going forward, if I'm totally honest with you. This, this is where you know our attacking prowess needs to come in. If we say that we're a good team going forward, then this is where we've got to show it. And Adoma needs to be on point. So does Snodgrass. And uh, I think this is a game which is perfectly made for Hogan. Now, what I will say is, some of their defenders have been fantastic this season. Now, the standout performer for them recently is actually a lad who spent six years in non-league football. Uh, Ethan Pinnock, who obviously came through at Dulwich Hamlet, you know, made 120 appearances for them. And then in 2016, obviously played for Forest Green Rovers in that side, obviously, which got promoted. Barnsley then signed him and he's made a couple of appearances for them. And within that time period, right, listen to this staggering statistic, right? Um, and this is this is just something which does stand out with uh, does stand out to me. Five full games, two man of the match performances, five point six aerial duels won a game, and that is absolutely fantastic. If I'm totally honest with you, so. Going forward, Villa are going to struggle, you know, especially if we're, if we're going to be crossing uh, crossing the ball in there. He's going to make life difficult. Uh, so looking at Barnsley, they've got him in there. Joe Williams has been doing well in midfield as well. Ezekiel Fryers, Adam Jackson and Dimitri Cavare have been good for them this season in defence. And basically, this is going to need a sustained attacking, uh, a sustained attacking pressure from Villa all game. Villa, if they play like they did against Bristol City, if they take that measured approach, if they wait for the perfect opportunity and pounce, Scott Hogan puts chances away. He is the Ipswich Town of finishing. If I, if if you will allow me, that's to, you know that analysis related quip. Um, Ipswich Town succeeded early on in the season because they seemed to score every bloody shot they took. Scott Hogan seems. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And uh, there we have Scott Hogan putting away chances left, right, and centre. Every single chance he seems to get, he's putting away. He doesn't get them often. You know, he doesn't get much chances, but he, he seems to have found that little bit of confidence, that bit of scoring touch, golden boy. Um, if he can get the chances against Bristol City, he'll put them away. Um, like he did against Bristol City against Barnsley, he'll put them away in abundance. Uh, Barnsley aren't a good team right now. That's nothing against Paul Hecking, but I mean, he's done a fantastic job. Barnsley really are fighting to stay up this season. I believe they will. It'd be very positive to see what their new owners, including Mr. Moneyball, Billy Bean, um, due to that team there. Their recruitment's fantastic. Their recruitment's fantastic, mate. Anyway, the players they are able to get and spot out, million, you know, years before any other team can, is fantastic. The way they're fun, they could be a real big hitter in the championship, you know, in the next decade if they're able to build on their recruitment, bring in players, and really, you know, revolutionise recruit. You know, Brentford are doing the same thing. These smaller clubs, and I mean that with the greatest deal of respect. These smallest clubs, you know, they don't have the budget or the power to do what teams like we are doing and what Wolves are doing in the Premier League. They don't have, you know, they can't compete with Man City, Liverpool, Man United. However, if you do things differently, you do things smartly, you get rewarded. Swansea did that back in the day when, you know, went through their recruitment and their style of football. They stuck to a philosophy and got promoted. They hired the same type of managers. They didn't do different things and they got promoted and they, they've succeeded more than they perhaps deserved to. Uh, it's coming to an end now, it looks like, with uh, 
impending relegation, it seems, unless Carvajal can turn that around. However, more on Barnsley, I'd hate for them to go down. I think they're a feel-good story. Not, I, You know, it sounds patronising, but they seem to be doing things right. No, absolutely. And you know what? You, you, you say that you know, when, when you look at the recruitment, the lad I've just, I've just mentioned, you know, signing from Forest Green Rovers and this guy's obviously pulling in performances for them. Another one that they've got in that team, obviously, who's been doing really well for them is Dimitri Kabare, the right back, who they signed from Wren. Uh, and actually, you know, the, the thing with Wren as well is uh, he, he only made two appearances for them in two years and yet still they spotted him out. And yet still this guy is pulling in performances for them. Their, their recruitment is ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And I thought we were spotting out good players in the relegation season, which, by the way, I won't dwell too much on. I think despite the fact we did awful that season, our recruitment was was, was very, very good. Now, back to Barnsley. Defensively, a good side. If they do manage to keep that up this season, they'll, they'll, they'll be fine. Uh, and I do think they will stay up. Uh, however... Coming up against Aston Villa, I think they will struggle uh, if 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 we've got skillful players on them, and if we play like we did against Nottingham Forest, we will be absolutely fine. We just need to stay switched on against them uh, because they are the kind of side which will spring up something on you, and they are the kind of side which obviously is not going to get nervous. You know, they're, they're, they're full of young players. They're full of players who are excited to be playing in the championship. And, you know, they've got Tom Bradshaw as well, who's always going to, you know, be able to spring up a goal every now and then. Um, so I just think we do need to stay switched on against them. Um, and also we are the kind of side, unfortunately, that teams love to to end their bad runs against because we, let's face it, we're a big side. We're a big team and teams are always going to bring it to us. Uh, so it's just going to be a case of Villa not getting nervous because we can move up to third in the next game. Uh, and uh, hopefully we do. Yeah, of course, we could overtake Cardiff on goal difference. Everything has to go our way. We have to leapfrog Bristol City and Cardiff. So depending on what you know, what those two certainly talented teams can do, with all due respect, I think Lee Johnson's had a few things to say about us after that Bristol City game, you know, but <laughs> whatever. I think... You know, at the end, we'll see you at the end of the season, mate. We've beat him 5-0. He's a, he's a good manager, admittedly. What he's doing in Bristol City is pretty incredible. You know, they have a small, a smaller side in a, quite a big city in England. They need to really, you know, that city really needs something turned around. Yeah. But, you know, you know, Villa need to, they need to do well. They need to watch Leeds behind them. They need to watch Leeds, Sheffield United and Middlesbrough behind them. But more really, focus on Cardiff and Bristol City. If you can keep ahead of Cardiff and Bristol City, maybe, just maybe, you catch up with Derby one day. Yeah, but you know what? If, if Bristol City win next week, then fine. Uh, it just pegs Derby back. So, yeah, so it's, it's it's absolutely fine if they if they win. Because I, I, I trust Villa to sustain good form more than I trust Bristol City. I, I don't Like, Lee Johnson's good, don't get me wrong. But that side capitulated 5-0 against us. That And any side which is capable of capitulating like that will capitulate again. That's the way I see it. Yeah, um, we'll go back to that Bristol City game, actually, mate. Um, I'll take your prediction on the Barnes game in a minute. However, it's, you know, it's interesting to see that it maybe wasn't just Villa that earned that 5-0. I think Lee Johnson, after they're going two goals goals down Lee Johnson went for it his team were gung-ho they had two men back you know <laughs> two men against the wall of Villa it's never going to end well and as we saw three, goal, three goals conceded after that so uh, yeah going for that approach helped Villa more than he probably knows well he does know he admitted it yeah I mean he, he, he admitted it but also partially blamed the, uh, blamed the match on poor officiating so uh, 
<laughs> there's, there's a lot that he could say. It's almost like Steve Bruce sticking his hand up after we get defeated and just kind of giving a reason as to why we might have lost, but then also putting it down to injuries. Uh, I wouldn't trust too much that Lee Johnson says, actually, if I'm totally honest with you, uh, after his last batch of interviews. Um, <laughs> you, know, you know when you hear one press conference or one interview from a manager and you're just like, <sighs> okay, mate. <laughs> like that, 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 I felt about Lee Johnson. He just, he just seemed uh, very much on edge after after the Villa defeat, and um, yeah, I, I can understand why. Uh, so, Bristol City—they're a good side. That, like you say, they're 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 a, they're a team who are doing well in quite a big city, uh, and and a city which you know does deserve to have a team in the in the Premier League. Uh, but I don't think they'll sustain it. They don't worry me that much, Bristol City. There, there, there is aspects of that side which, which, which show that after a defeat, after playing badly for a little bit, they can absolutely capitulate. And I think Villa more so than than any other season as of late. I've, they, they, they've just kept the fight going. They've shown me fight. You know, we're we're the kind of team where if we do lose, we might go off for a couple of games, but we'll bring it back and we'll refocus. Um, and I trust us to do that more than I trust Bristol City too. Well, fair play, mate. Um, back to Barnsley. Any we need scoreline predictions mm. now. So, uh, what are you saying? Oh, it's been a, such a long time since I've since I've said that we'll hammer a side, but I think we're going to hammer them. Uh, we're going to hammer Barnsley. I think so. Uh, I, I I know it's some people will say it's bad karma. Don't don't jinx it. But I I just think that so Barnsley obviously, like I said, they're, they're very very good uh, in, in defensively. They're, they're good in the air. Uh, their 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 defenders are, are are quality, you know, um, against championship opposition. Having said that, I don't think the likes of Pinnock, I don't think the likes of Kovare will have faced the Premier League standard attackers that we have. And I don't, I I and I I don't say that lightly. Snodgrass and Adoma hold their own in the Premier League. That's a, that that's something that could be argued. Fair enough, but I think. If we got those two running at them, uh, Ezekiel Friars will put in a performance against Snodgrass. You know, make no doubt about it. But I think if Snodgrass and Adoma play play like they have done, and and Jack Grealish as well, if he piles on the pressure uh, at Barnsley, there's no reason why we can't score three or four goals in this game. And hopefully, this is the breakout game for Scott Hogan, where he basically shows that hey, look, I'm scoring three goals in three games. I can do this consistently. I'm going three nil. I have to match that, mate. Um, it's at home. It's against a crowd that are increasingly falling in line with Steve Bruce. They are enjoying the team and they're allowing spells of forgiveness uh, if Villa slip up. I have to go 3 0 as well. I think it's time for you know Villa to get revenge. You know, when I got the honour of sitting in the director's box last uh, February against Barnsley, we lost uh, quite badly. It was on Valentine's Day. I was there with my dad. Uh, you know, we were sitting fancy, you know, all fancy in the director's box, sitting where you know Tony Shaw would have sat and all that. They weren't there. You know, there's Ian Taylor and Wyness were there. They were cool. Brian Little and Doug Ellis and all that. However, it was miserable. <laughs> we were sitting next to the the Barnsley owners. You know, it was a family. Uh, it, there wasn't many of them, and uh, you know, they absolute glee beating Villa at Villa Park and. Uh, I hope we, we need to turn that around. I'll be in the whole end this time where I belong, uh, not with all the uh, the fancy dans in the uh, 
I hope you weren't dating anyone at that point. No, it was... You know, started off, started <laughs> off the day. No, my, Valentine's girl, day my girlfriend uh, said, yeah, you know, take your dad with you. And I was like, okay, yeah. And he uh, took advantage of the free drinks and the uh, the delicious steak and uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. It's all right. It was all, all, all agreed, mate. All agreed. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I'll be where I belong this time. And uh, seeing uh, Villa, you know, hopefully attack the whole, whole end, uh, waiting for a third goal. I have to go with that prediction. 3-0, I feel. Okay. I, I don't know when the last time was that we agreed on a prediction. We uh, did. I think completely. we did um, maybe Millwall. I think that we did say there was a draw or a loss. I think it might be the loss against Brentford. I think we both said it might be a loss. We were feeling a loss. Um, I'm, not, I'm not too sure, mate. We'll, we'll, we'll have to uh, research into that. I'll, I'll have a listen. Maybe a listen back. But yeah, I have to agree with you. can't not. I can't not. Yeah, we need to start recording these, actually. We need to start putting down the number of times we get a prediction right or wrong so we can uh, so we can start having some bragging rights. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering what... Uh, um, by the way, right, one one thing I will say about the Holtcast is that we are interactive. So if any of you have predictions for this game as well, uh, I know James is going to get to this at the end as well, but, you know, do tweet in. Do tweet in at, uh, at 7,500 to Holt. At DH Riser as well, you know, get to him, get to me at Jammer Rushton. Please do. It is actually genuinely enjoyable to retweet, you know, talk to people who not just agree with you, but disagree with you and not disagree in an awful way, but disagree in a polite, you know, approachable manner. I feel I do like that. I do enjoy interacting with people. I think people, you know, I write a lot for the site, so I'm always speaking to people. So yeah, do reach out. Anyway, man, uh, final thing, um, transfer window stuff. Um, we've already speak, spoken. <laughs> we already talked length, lengths, lengths, lengths about uh, Bjarnason and moving on. However, however likely that is, I'm not sure. And um, we have incoming moves definitely happening. Um, Axel Tuanzebi, I'm not sure how to say his name, is a move that looks most likely. And uh, Leo, oh, I can't say his name. I can't, I can't get my tongue over. It's Leo Aloa. Aloa. Yeah. So it's Alex uh, Tanzebi and. Uh... It's Leo. Is it is it Leo yeah. Leonardo? Uh, and that's you know what? It, it depends which commentator you got. Sometimes it's Iloa. Sometimes it's Ujoa with silent L's. Well, Axel Twansby looks uh, to be a more exciting one, capable of playing across the back line, a right-sided fullback, a ball-playing defender, or mm. excitingly defensive midfielder. Where I think we'll deploy him. And um, that move doesn't look likely until. The end of the window. Jose Mourinho wants to keep hold of Twanzebe just in case um, there's an in- injury to Egg by, um, at, you know, the back defenders at yeah. United. You know, that's fair enough. Um, Understandable. Lower looks like a likely, a likely, a likely loan signing. However, Lesser do want to move him on permanently. I don't think we want to get involved in that. To be honest, I think he's a good Championship level striker. <laughs> However, I do not want a club to commit to signing a loan player. I just want the loan. We can, we can talk about signing after. Yeah, no, listen, Villa, we're in the position, like, literally, where, like, we we, we, sh- we should not be signing a striker. No way, right? Because you've got, we've got Hogan on our books, we've got Kajira on our books, we've got, uh, we've got Ross, McC- <laughs> Ross McCormack on our books, uh, Keenan Davis as well. Uh, then you start looking at Gabby, um, obviously, people don't want him sticking around too much. I love the guy. Give him a lifetime contract. Um, Rushan Hepburn Murphy as well. So yeah, yeah, you look, and then Callum O'Hare as well. Obviously, like we're going, we're going into youngsters over there, which is, which is obviously not what we want to uh, uh, necessarily, de- not necessarily the players that we want to be deploying on a on a weekly basis. But like the thing is, 
I, I, that yeah, Kajir is injured, and yeah, it looks like we've got some sort of a striker crisis. But you solve that by bringing in a six-month loan because uh, come the end of the season, um, if we're not out of the championship and we're paying Kajir's wages, Hogan's wages, McCormack's wages, and Uloa's wages, and then on top of that, the rest of the lads, then we could be in some trouble. Uh, so I, I genuinely I feel like Arsene Wenger right now because I'm looking at the squad and going, yeah, I'm happy. You know, quite frankly, I've forgotten it's January. Like most windows, I'm 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 getting excited trying to trying to hope for Villa to sign anybody. But right now, the smart thing to do is, you know, what? instead of spending loads of money, which we can't do anyway because of FFP, right? Let's sign the best possible loan players that we can. One or two guys that can superpower us in this division just a little bit, uh, just a little bit more. And I think we're sorted. Just get the right couple of right couple of guys in. Uh, sign in, sign somebody better than Onoma. Um. And uh, yeah, we we, sh- we should be fine. Like, there's no need to uh, there's no need to worry, regardless of FFP. Crazy stuff, isn't it? Really, um, the transfer window. You know, two weeks ago, we'd have probably been begging to sign a striker. You know, just before that Bristol City game, I think everyone wanted a lower to come over. However, I feel very uncomfortable if we're forced to sign him after a loan. I just want the loan. We can speak about signing him at the end of the season, regardless of what happens. However, we're chucking money. At strikers, mate. Strikers aren't even here. You know, we've got Codger injured, McCormack on loan. We're throwing at Gabby, who's out, you know, disappeared. I think it's through injury or through, you know, not being in the first 11 or on the, in the uh, starting lineup, at least, the starting match squad, sorry. Um, but we're throwing money at strikers. A lower would be a costly, not a mistake. I think he's better, better option, possibly grabbing. Um, but it's still, it's still a lot of money. You're paying Premier League money for a strike you don't necessarily need. I fancy the loan, and I don't want a commitment on the signing. I want it to be if we get promoted, we'll, we'll it's something we'll look at. Um, again, the other person, Twanza B, is what excites me more. I think that's definitely a loan, no commitment to buy. Exciting young player coming through the ranks at United. Someone who has succeeded in almost every match he's played for United. Um, he's played very well. Um, he shut down. I think it was a he had someone. Of repute in his pocket for a whole game. I'm not sure he was. Don't want to say Aguero. I don't think it was Aguero, but it's one of you know a world class striker he had in his pocket, and um, for an entire 90 minutes. So yeah, I'm, I'm Harry Kane. That's the man. Harry Kane he had in his pocket apparently. Um, from what United fans were saying to us. So yeah, I, I take that. I, I I happily accept any boost boost to our ranks we can get in defensive or midfield. Um, be honest, and I wouldn't look to sell. We've we've covered that. Um, I'd I'd consider offers for almost anyone if they were good, because I don't think we really suffer that much if we, nah. you know what I mean? I think someone goes 50 million for a Doma. It's a move I accept. You know, someone goes Andre Green, um, 18 million. That's a move I accept. Stuff like that. If you, if someone's going to make a sensible offer that helps us develop and helps us make a, you know, make a real team, we, we don't miss out that much if we lose... Green or Adoma, I think that they're positions we have real strength in. No, no, man, Adoma, we we do lose out if he if he goes. He's been our star player like all season. I like we 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 can't lose him. If I'm totally honest with you, like what one of the thing one of the problems right with a lot of sides in the championship and one of the things which stops teams going up is in January, just because there's a window, just because there's a transfer window open, um, teams just suddenly go, yeah, all right then. Right, and then basically upset the balance of their team for no reason whatsoever. Like, it's, so for example, if if Arsenal right now, right, and they're not, 
Right, so this is a total hypothetical. If Arsenal were second in the league and challenging for the title, right, and somebody went 20 million for Sanchez, right, it'd be much better for them to kind of go in, no, right, let's sort this out at the end of the season. We are halfway through a promotion season, right? We cannot sign anybody at the moment. So why weaken ourselves? It's not worth it. Wait for the cash at the end of the season, right? Because whatever money we will be... Obviously, if a doma, if somebody came in for a twenty-five million bit, pound bid or something like that, then, then then fine, right? But we, like we we gave away this attitude. We had this attitude for Jordan Amavi, didn't we before, right? Where a side just puts in a bid and we've ended up just selling him when when, when we should have basically waited for much higher offers. Same with Jordan Veritu and a couple of other players as well. We 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 should not just be letting teams just walk over to us and just sign players for whatever money possible. This is such an important season at this point in January we should not be selling anybody because there's no point. You know, who in that team, right, do we, can we really afford to let go of considering the amount of injuries we've had, right, and, and considering uh, the fact that we really do not have that much cover uh, beyond our beyond our first team. I don't think that it would be a wise move to do that. Um, but having said that, like, yeah, if we can bring in a loan replacement, then fine. But, Adoma's been our star performer, man. We can't can't let him go. No, I completely understand that. I'm more saying that if bids come in, Villa shouldn't immediately dismiss them. I think we should be in a position where we cash we can cash in on these assets if we want. If you know in the next few weeks, God forbid the season fall apart, season falls apart, we can look at because if we aren't promoted this season, we have a worst case scenario on our hands. The worst case scenario is people coming for bids, you know, to say Albert Adoma, five million, two million, one million. You know, we lose players for pennies because we're in a position where we must sell to uh, meet the demands of financial fair play. We have made mistakes, massive, tremendous mistakes we've recruited in the past few seasons, um, where we are we will be in a position of a sink or swim come the end of the season. I'm hoping we get promoted though, so we aren't in that position. But if you have to be a forward thinker, I think if someone comes in with an incredible bid, a can't refuse bid, I think you need to lean towards taking that maybe. No, but you do it at the end of the season, man. Nobody's going to put in a can't refuse bid at this point, not in January. And uh, I, I don't know what a can't refuse point uh, bid is, right? Somebody says 20 million to a Doma. Do you let him go? I'd say no, because ah. he's, he scored, what is it, 12 goals in the championship? He's been that good, right? Now, I, I understand that we've got the whole age thing going on, right? But you need to think about value. Uh, you need to think about value to, to the team. Do, does 20 million bias anybody else who's going to put in the same kind of impact as Adoma when he's been one of the best players in the championship? This is what happens. We let go of star players far too easily and then we don't replace them properly. That's how we slowly like descended from being sick and challenging for the Champions League places. Ashley Young goes, we replace him with Nzogbia, right? Milner, Barry, uh, Downing, same thing. We replaced them with average players who just weren't doing that well. And I haven't seen enough from our recruitment process so far to think that uh, we would be able to replace these players properly. I mean, if if Adoma goes and then we then we spend the money on buying Robert Snodgrass, that's fine. But we're in danger, man, of uh, Snodgrass going back to West Ham as well in January. So at this point, we've got to look at improvements only. 
we can't be taking steps back. We can think about taking steps back in the summer, but right now, right, and I, I know I say that I don't swear on this podcast, right, so I'll just say something which is kind of PG. We need to be balls in this season. That's how I see it. Yes. I completely agree, Matt. I think you made some incredibly good points there. Um, it's just a case of I don't think Villa are in the, you know, as a championship club, any championship club is never in a position to refuse a Premier League club because it creates friction between a player and the club through their agents. It's, uh, you know, and if it says at the end of the season, say someone goes to you, <clears throat> we'll give you 20 million for Scott Hogan now. Um, you're not going to get 20 million for Scott Hogan at the end of the season. He's not, this is hi- completely hypothetical. Interchange the play for whoever you want. You know, it could be 2 million for Berkey, be honest, and now or 500,000 for him at the end of the season. Stuff like that. You're not, you, Filler won't be in a position to cash in at the end of the season because there'll be, there'll be a selling club. <laughs> that would have to be a selling club. There's no situation at the end of the season where they're not a selling club unless promotion happens. And it needs to be, for my, in my, always it needs to be automatic promotion however mate i think uh any final points on all that i think we're coming to you know round about the end now any final port um final thoughts on the points that we made today yeah uh so forest uh let's let's sum this up right nottingham forest game uh we put in a very good performance to a lot of people maybe it looked like we were uh we we didn't score enough goals but it was perfectly fine one nil against the night talker anchor side always a good win if I'm totally honest with you, uh, they, they, they're good defensively. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for Nottingham Forest, pushing our players over and, and trying to nip out the, the attacks just isn't good enough when we're already in front. Uh, game against Barnsley next week should be a humdinger of a game if if we turn up and, uh, and put in the effort. Uh, I do expect to see goals, uh, and I think we are on a good run for sure. And uh, as far as Uloa goes, I think... Keenan Davis has done a fantastic job this season. He's done well to get uh, to, to to play how he has done. Uh, but we're we're getting into the uh, what's the what, what what do we say about the um, the final point in this uh, the final point of the season? We're getting into the most important part, aren't we? Yeah, you know, we're get, we're getting into uh, real real hours, right? Uh, and uh, and I think at this point, Ulo is an upgrade on him. Scott Hogan, first choice striker, absolutely. We want to bring on a striker who can hold up the ball. Do, K- do Keenan Davis's job. Oloa would be fantastic to do that. Uh, the, the only worry we might have is it might seem a bit Grant Holty. Uh, maybe his best years are behind him. Uh, and then Alex Tuenzebe. Don't know an awful lot about him. Can't pretend I do. But he's a Manchester United defender that Jose Mourinho trusts. Right? Sam Johnson's done well for us on loan. I'm happy. I'm more than happy to give Axel Tanzebe a, a a go this season as well. Uh, if it's more cover for us in defence, then fine, sure, got no problem with it whatsoever. Can't agree more with you, Matt. I think it's been a very good podcast today. As always, I enjoy having you on. I enjoy hearing any feedback as well. Um, you can find us at DHRaza, that's him, at Jamo Russian, that's me, and at 7500 Holt, that's us. Um, the whole cast will be back next Sunday after the Barnsley game. We'll be checking in on the news, see if there's any transfer stuff. It doesn't look too likely, but you'll never know. So find us at the same time next week, mate. Yeah, absolutely, man. May I propose something? I think we should do our fine we should do a podcast on uh Transfer deadline day, live from Bodymore Heath with our binoculars out trying to spot out any last minute signings.
Yeah, hopefully no one puts a dildo in our ears, though um, those antics do happen on deadline day, don't they, man? But yeah, we'll catch you next Sunday as we approach the conclusion of January, the end of the transfer window's coming. And uh, hopefully we have three more points in the bag. That'll be good, won't it? Yeah, absolutely. Barnsley next week should be a good game. Give us your predictions at DHRaster, at, uh, at Jamo Rushton, and of course at 7500 to halt we are of course in feel good times again for aston villa we have finally started putting together a good string of performances peterborough feels a long time away it is all about the league and the championship for aston villa at the moment james uh it's a goodbye from me man yeah catch you guys later same time next week goodbye